What's up, heroes, and welcome to episode 100. I'm your host, the House Ninja, superhero, DJ, and music producer. Whether you're new to the podcast or you've been with me all 100 episodes, welcome. I've got a very special guest this week, but before we leap into the episode, I wanted to remind you about my next live performance on May 28th at the Georgia World Congress Center in Atlanta for Momocon, where I'll be headlining their flow jam. So break out your poi, staff, hoop, or pixel whip, and come vibe with me starting at 11.30 p.m. Today's guest is Alex Holmes, an English singer and songwriter for pop and EDM music. She's worked with hundreds of producers and labels worldwide and is ranked the number one five-star vocalist on the Vocalizer platform. Her releases include tracks with Universal Music, Sony Music, No Copyright Sounds, and Spinnin' Records. And she's been featured on records with Sean Paul, Pitbull, Mashton Kuchar, and DJ The Prophet. Alex's music has reached number one on Beatport, has been used in Motorola advertisements, the Netflix series Lock and Key, and she's gained millions of streams. She's been endorsed by Tiesto, Hardwell, Armin Van Buren, and featured on a number of Spotify playlists including New Music Friday, Shuffle Syndrome, and Get Popped. In this episode, we talk about how to get the most out of your collaborations with vocalists, different types of royalties, and how to nurture your creativity. But first, cue the intro music. All right, Alex, welcome to the Producer Life Podcast. Hi, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. I uh, was kind of thinking about, you know, where to begin this interview, and I was looking at your extensive biography, and it struck me that you you began at an amazingly early age. You started at age five writing your first song. <laughs> did you come from a musical family? I did. So um, funnily enough, bath time back when I was a little kid was the chance for my dad to bring out the guitar and start playing songs to us. Um, so it was really from him that I kind of owe my love for music and my exposure from an early age to music. Um, and when I was kind of growing up and listening to a lot of the stuff that he was singing and playing to me, um, he was also an amateur songwriter. So um, I was very inspired from a young age to to write my own songs. And that was something that he encouraged. Um, and we kind of did together as like an after school activity. Oh, wow. That's that's awesome. And did, so you guys created songs together. Did any of those ever become something that wound up getting published or produced? Unfortunately not, actually. We keep uh, we keep saying that we should go over some of those because there were some really beautiful little songs that we made together. Um, mostly more like acoustic singer-songwriter because he was very much into, he is very much into playing guitar. Um, so it was more kind of that acoustic-inspired um, type of music. And yeah, it's definitely something that we, we keep saying that we will do at some point, but we haven't got around to it. <laughs> I, I'm curious about the subject of songs for a five-year-old. Do you remember what your <laughs> topics were about? Uh, it's funny you should ask. I think back then one of the first songs that I actually wrote was um, with a friend that had come around for an after-school play date. And I think we had written what we thought was the appropriate thing to write as an adult. And it was about having a glass of wine and going to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> you were You were writing party songs at age five. Absolutely. I just <laughs> threw myself in there. <laughs> okay. Awesome. And then so so that continued on through so in England, what do you call sort of elementary school? So we're I am primary school and then into secondary school. 
um, when I hit into secondary school, uh, I was doing lots and lots of different musical activities uh, through the school. And also alongside that, I had um, already been studying the piano. So I had been doing a lot of songwriting by myself. Um, and I started to gig from, I think, and I probably don't know if I should say this out loud, but I think my first gig was 15, age 15. Um, <laughs> my first big gig, sorry, my first kind of industry gig. And I was at the Troubadour Club in London. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but uh, they said to me, don't tell anyone that you are 15. Pretend that you are 18. <laughs> <laughs> so I got away doing my first kind of industry gig at um, a really amazing venue. Actually, it's where Bob Dylan did his first ever gig in the UK. Um, gorgeous little venue called the Troubadour Club in London. Um, and then kind of from there, I was gigging as much as I could. Um, and I was, um, I kind of went off to, I was sort of alongside the gigging, I was studying um, the, I was studying up to doing through my grades with uh, piano and singing. And uh, also I was playing violin back then. Um, so I had a lot of exposure to sort of different instruments. I was also in big bands, um, rock bands, pop bands. So I was kind of doing a whole different plethora of uh different music and writing and performing um, in different genres. And then I went off to study popular music at Goldsmiths um, in London. Um, and whilst I was there, I was again exposed to, to more. I was exposed more to uh, kind of alternative dance music, more kind of underground styles um, and different artists, like up and coming artists in London um, on the scene at that point in time that were kind of crossing over between mainstream and more kind of electronic Okay, sort of the pop EDM genre. Yes, yeah, but for me, actually, at that point in time, I was still very much into uh, acoustic singer-songwriter, um, and that was kind of very much where I was thinking that I would would stay, and that would be my my career path. Okay, it sounds like you did a, a lot of performing early on, and and now when I'm, I, I was searching YouTube for performances and that sort of thing, and I, I didn't see much. So your your career has really changed are you do you miss the gigging or it really has changed yes so um back kind of when I was had finished university I was uh, doing a lot of gigging I was traveling in and out of London to do showcases um and really kind of over the over those kind of few years after I'd finished uni I was exploring different sounds or exploring my my own work as a, as a producer and an arranger um so I was kind of started doing a bit more like electronic pop and I had some releases back in um so I had like more acoustic stuff back in 2013 by 2015 I was doing my own productions and doing more like electronic pop um and then through that I started I had a, a couple of music videos come out I'm not sure if you'd seen these. Um, and they, off the back of this, I had people inquiring with me, um, asking about collaborations. And that's kind of really when collaborations started to become more of a thing. Um, but it wasn't till the end of 2016 when I kind of massively fell into dance, music, EDM, um, and started to explore different subgenres of this genre. Okay. Wow. I, there's so much you just said that I want to kind of unpack. Um, I, I did see <laughs> one music video on your YouTube channel for hire and it was kind of a post-apocalyptic, <laughs> uh, uh, music video, but the, the, the yes, track is beautiful. And, blood. <laughs> what's that? With a fair bit of blood. On the with a fair bit of blood face. and a tank chasing somebody. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, how did she get a tank in a music video? <laughs> 
so uh, that was uh what do you call it cgi <laughs> okay well whoever did it was was did a nice job it looked yeah. looked great so who who were some of your earliest collaborations and how did that come about because that that seems like that's been kind of the direction that your career has taken you've had hundreds of collaborations yes. i guess since 20 15 or 2016? 2016, yeah, very much so. Um, so one of the first people that I started to collaborate with was uh, JJ Dembiak, who is a kind of um, bass player and multi-instrumentalist um, and songwriter over in the US. And he reached out to me. He was like, look, I have these ideas. Would you be up for collaborating? He'd worked with lots of different uh, singers and songwriters. And so I started to work on some tracks with him. Some of that was rock. Some of it was pop. Some of it was blues inspired. Um, so we did kind of a mixture of stuff together. Um, at the same time as this, I had also started um, collaborating with other songwriters, writing specifically for the Asian market. So for like J-pop, Japanese pop and Korean pop music. Um, so I was kind of exposed to a lot of different stuff at that point in time. Um, and off the back of that, um, those songwriting, those songwriting sessions that I'd had, um, there with that specific publisher that we were kind of arranging them through, they set up a Christmas party. And at this Christmas, this was in 2016, we had the Christmas party. We had it three months after Christmas in March. Um, and we, I met loads of different songwriters that they were they had on their books at that point in time. And one of the songwriters and singers that I met, um, she had come over from Australia and we were discussing as a vocalist, you know, what are the different um, potential income streams and ways, ways to meet new producers and kind of to explore different genres. And she mentioned that she started working um, through a platform and collaborating through a platform called Vocalizer that I was completely unaware of at the time. Um, and so I kind of looked into it and I was like, okay, that's, that looks cool. And I made a profile, but I didn't publish it. And then I just sort of six months later, I looked at it and I went, you know what, I'm just going to go for this. It was very much focused on, um, EDM producers. And at that point in time, I hadn't had a massive amount of exposure to writing in this genre. So I was quite kind of, uh, a bit nervous to, to try this, but I just kind of threw myself in after six months of just having had this profile sat there. I was like, I'm going to do this. Um, and from, I think it was like the September of 2016, I started to reach out to different producers. I started sending different ideas back and forth with people. And it just kind of snowballed from there. I think by 2017, I was writing something like eight to 10 songs a track, just a, a month, sorry, eight to, ten, eight to 10 songs a month just through Vocalizer. Um, this was kind of excluding the direct uh, communications I was having with, with producers outside of this platform. Um, so that was really an amazing turning point, certainly in me kind of falling into uh, the dance music industry and and getting loads of exposure to different tracks, different subgenres of dance music. Um, I was doing stuff in hard style, um, drum and bass to to deep tropical house, um, a whole mixture of stuff. And then at the same time, also doing more like commercial pop stuff through through this platform as well. So that was really, I owe a lot to that platform and I'm very grateful for it because it was a chance to to connect with people from all over the world. Um, so that was that was a massive, that was a massive kind of starting starting point if you like for for me getting into getting into that part of the industry and that genre yeah and, and it sounds like also some of the networking events that you went to helped but 
what is it about the Vocalizer platform? I, I, I looked at it. I, I started to sign up for an account, but then I thought, oh, mm-hmm. she might have a referral code. Um, so I didn't yet, but <laughs> I did spot you on SoundBetter as well, which has a, um, which is a similar platform for sure. uh, producers and vocalists. What is it that makes yes. Vocalizer so unique? So for me, I had uh, been introduced to Vocalizer. So that was kind of why I set up my profile there. And I think it was quite early days back then when I set up my profile. So, and I was very, very proactive um, on on the platform. Um, I think that the great thing about Vocalizer is that you have that direct communication um, very easily straight away. It's not that you you can connect to people straight away and have have a messaging uh, system like you would in Instagram, for example. Um, Sound better. I actually signed up to later on. I can't remember exactly when. Um, probably in around 2018. And I did do quite a lot through Sound Better as well. I love that platform too. Um, I think that the Vocalizer platform it was less restrictive. I think they have implemented some new restrictions. Like certainly, you could start with I think free account with them, and you could explore a lot of the options and communicate with a lot of people. I think now it's very much a paid for platform. Um, in, in order to even be able to start communicating with anyone. Um, and I think it, it's similar on Sound Better. They've got a really great system on there. They had actually been picked up by Spotify for a period of time. And then um, they decided to go back to just being Sound Better without Spotify behind them. And I kind of think that's a, a really good thing because the whole point of these platforms is to, to kind of encourage both independent artists and producers um, to to collaborate with each other, but also to collaborate with professionals in the industry. So there kind of needed to be that um, kind of indie approach to it. Uh, and I think that works really nicely. So both of these platforms are amazing. And there are plenty of other platforms out there now. I think Vocleo is one of them. Um, I haven't kind of got around to exploring them because for me, things kind of, as I said, snowballed massively with uh, Vocalizer and then Sound Better and then I was starting to get so many different inquiries, which is I'm so grateful for so many different inquiries over the years um, that I couldn't keep up with everything. <laughs> and I think you have to sort of you have to pick and choose over a period of time to kind of pick what works best for you. Um, uh, and that kind of it got to that point for me. Um, but no, there are certainly other other amazing platforms out there as well. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good problem to have. What. <laughs> what is the advantage for a producer to, I think Vocalizer, it looks like you have to sign up for a paid account before you mentioned this, before you even start communicating with sure. a artist. It never used to be like that. It was much more open from the, from the beginning if you want to just try it with a, with a free account. So I think that's an unfortunate thing that they've done that. And I think that closes off the option for a lot of, a lot of, you know, like singers and songwriters and producers, that I say, just starting out that have some amazing tracks and just want to find a way to, to find collaborators. Um, yeah. Okay. So if, if someone is looking for a vocalist, um, uh, something like sound better where you don't have to have an account, there, there isn't a significant platform advantage to vocalizer. Do they have a broader range of vocalists? Do they have, you know, maybe higher quality control standards. I, I actually I, I don't think know. that Sound Better have the the higher quality control. I think they're a lot. Uh, they certainly, from when I signed up, they seemed a lot kind of fussier when you wanted to apply to have the pro account. So I think on both of them, you can have badges to be deemed a professional in their opinion. Um, and I think you had to supply a lot more kind of evidence for Sound Better. So I think on there, and also on there, I think you can quite easily find if you wanted the mixing or mastering engineer of um 
I don't know, for example, I don't know if they are on there, but for example, of uh, someone that's worked with Sia or U2 or uh, Adele or something, you might be able to find those people on there. And I've certainly seen um, different professionals advertising their skills on there who have worked with some some huge names. Yeah, interesting. I've, I've not hired anybody off of Sound Better yet. I've used Fiverr a bunch in the past. Okay. Because it's a more broad-based platform. It's not yeah. just vocalists and producers and music-centric, but I've I've used them for cover art and other things. And it certainly seems like mm. on Fiverr, the range of prices and, and I guess quality is is much broader. Mm. But uh, you, you certainly see high-end artists on there, but you also see people doing things for literally $5. So no, it's, it's an also an amazing way to, to, to build up, isn't it? To be able to, to have that option to say, you know, I'll do something for, for free or I'll do something for a really minimal amount. Um, I just want to get those collaborations going and a lot of creatively, a lot of, um, amazing stuff comes out of collaborating with people so it's it's something that if you have the opportunity to do it or you want to do it you should really dive in like wholeheartedly with this because I strongly believe that some of the most amazing um, songs and tracks and, and any kind of art forms actually things come out there's some amazing things that come out of collaborations yeah and you I mean that's clearly where you've excelled you've you've got tracks that range from trance to pop to drum and bass to hard style I mean sort of all over the EDM spectrum it really is it's it's interesting one of the collaborators that it seems like you've done a, a lot with is uh, Andrew over at Approaching Nirvana. Uh, mm-hmm. You guys had recently did uh, What If, you had Rise Again, uh, you did the Toss a Coin to Your Witcher remix. Um, how did, how did <laughs> that, that relationship me. start with uh, Andrew? Yeah, so with, that's a really good question, actually. It might be better with his memory to to ask him exactly how it started. I think... I can't remember which platform we were on. It might have been Vocalizer that we'd started communicating through. It might have been something that we just, um, he'd he'd reached out directly. I really, I can't remember that. But um, I think that was around, again, around that sort of early period for me, around 2015, 2016. I think in 2016, he'd, he'd been coming over to London for, for some um some music convention or some work he was doing over here some sessions and uh, we ended up meeting up for a burger and um, we just before this we'd only had I think I'd done like a vocal session for him and um and we'd had say a couple of calls and we just got on really well and we were like let's let's meet up and see you know see in person let's have a discussion about what kind of collaborations we could do and um it was just one of those situations where you just you really click with someone creatively you you kind of you get their mindset he has this built this fantastic kind of uh, <laughs> empire if you like of independent music and mm-hmm. he has this huge back catalogue I just really liked his mindset and um, the approach that he was taking and I wanted to do more kind of uh, independent and self-releasing um, self-releases as well so we kind of had this discussion over this burger and uh, then he kind of went back to the US and we were communicating and we started to write say like one two tracks a, a year and it's just been something that over the years we've just consistently been been writing together and staying in touch and, and keeping an eye on each other's careers and trying to help each other out and see um, where we can kind of utilize say my my contacts with labels or his contacts with more um with different distributors and different platforms. And it's just been a really lovely uh, 
kind of creative relationship that's blossomed a lot over the past few years. And like you said, we have done um, a mixture of stuff creatively. He's very open-minded, which I really enjoyed because um, this is something that we might touch on later. You can often find when you're collaborating with somebody that they are um, very adamant that they want something to be a certain way or they don't know how they want it to be, but they they keep giving you very vague words. For example, a word that often has come up over the years whenever I've asked someone, okay, so how do you imagine the vocal to be? They just say to me, I want something cool. <laughs> <laughs> I go okay which which avenue of cool are we discussing here do you want and when we say cool are we talking about kind of you know something sexy something uh some breathy vocals are we talking about <laughs> are we talking about the lyrics they need to sound a certain way so it was just really nice with Andrew everything was just always uh very open and communicative there was always a kind of freedom creatively but also a really great communication um and that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm talking about in quite depth because I think it's really important when it comes to collaborating to, to have this. And that's why that working relationship has just worked so well over these years and why we continue to make um, and explore different genres together and, and make uh, these really cool tracks together um, and have a lot of fun with it as well. As you as you know, we did Toss a Coin to a Witcher. This was um, this was something that Andrew suggested doing and just on a call that we were having. and. Uh, and he was saying about it and I said yeah I want to jump in on that that sounds so fun and I love singing along to that when when I was watching the the first uh the first season of Witcher and he was like okay cool let's try it and uh and then we made it he made a, a slap house version of it and and here we are and I'm, I'm so happy with it <laughs> Yeah, so I wound fun. up playing that at a uh, geeky gaming convention, Winterfest here in Atlanta, and it went over really well. So oh, amazing. It was nice. I, my introduction to Andrew was actually his um, Avengers remix some years ago, and that was the first time I came across his work. But he does mm-hmm. he does some amazing geeky remixes that uh, that I just love. Absolutely. Yeah, his background is fascinating. The fact that he kind of, you know, he went from very much in the, the gaming world and then has mm-hmm. explored so many different genres and creatively has just sort of really um really pushed out in into different into different spaces. And I find that really, really inspiring as well. Yeah. I uh his interview was I think sixty-three on this podcast, and that was one of my favorites. It, it strikes me you're you guys complement each other very well because the, the title of his interview was on on being a prolific producer because he has hundreds of releases but he's you know he's not an, a singer he is an instrumentalist mm-hmm. he he produces things he's not really interested in performing and it seems mm-hmm. like you are very much on the same side and that you're a vocalist but you don't have a strong desire to go out and perform you just want to create amazing art and so I can see why mm-hmm. your two styles really complement each other and 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 um why you guys have come up with so many amazing collaborations mm, yeah no definitely and i'm just it's one of those situations where you you kind of just you have to be so grateful for those people that you work with because uh, as i said as i mentioned you can often be working with um with people that are not so perhaps not so grateful or or it's not very easy to communicate with um and so this is just a really important aspect of it and that's and that's also why that that collaboration, those collaborations work so well with Andrew. Okay. So maybe, maybe this would be a good opportunity then to talk about what creates a good collaboration. And maybe you can talk about mm. how, since, since your experiences with Andrew have been so overwhelmingly positive, mm. you know, talk about how that 
how those collaborations frequently start. How do you actually do it? Is it emailing stems back and forth? Are you using something else? You know, does it or elaborate a little bit more about what it is that makes that such a great professional relationship? Sure. I think I'll go kind of a bit more general um, about kind of collaborations and the communication and whatnot that I would kind of recommend. And obviously, depending on your creative um, approach and the way that you like to work, um, this is just, you know, take it or leave it. But this is kind of my as we say in England, my two pennies worth. Um, so I said <laughs> a really funny old school. <laughs> um, we, we say two cents worth. So two I think cents worth. I'm sure I was we borrowed say it from you guys. So I was like, but I'm not American. So I will, I will say the English version. <laughs> <laughs> we, I'm sure we stole it from you. So, <laughs> um, so I'd say that in terms of the very first kind of communications that you have with people, whether you're working with them through a platform or you're, you've, you've reached out to them over uh, social media or through their website the first thing is to just be really open and um, really friendly there makes a, it makes a massive difference if you if you you know put a little line in there that says you know I absolutely am so inspired by this work that you've done or I've checked out this rather than just going in there kind of cold and just saying hi do you want to collaborate like it, it makes a massive difference if you have that that first um, really positive line of communication the, the next thing I would say is it be really clear in the way that you want to work with somebody. Um, one of the things I've noticed over the years, and I was a bit kind of naive to back when I was, uh, let's say, kind of starting out, is the, the kind of legal side of things, which nobody wants to get into when it comes to talking about a creative collaboration. But it's so integral to, to have that understanding of where you both stand and, and how the collaboration is going to work in that sense of things from the beginning, because you don't know where it's going to go. You don't know if this is going to be a self-release. You do it yourselves through a distributor. You um, you get a label, pick it up. You get a major label, pick it up. Uh, then where do you stand? Who Who's kind of... Um, who is communicating with those people and um, on what basis, what have you agreed in terms of your terms? So that's something that we can kind of go into a little bit more um, in a bit, if you like, because I have realized over the years that, and I was very lucky that I had like a, a amazing mentor and, and manager and publisher of these that were informing me of the things I needed to be aware of. But even I've made mistakes with contracts I signed many years ago because I didn't know what I was looking for or I didn't know what I should be agreeing in terms of the terms so it's definitely something that we can discuss more if that is I think that would definitely be of interest to the producers and DJs that might listen to this um and so then kind of leading on from that it's just it's integral that you you kind of give a clear idea of the direction that you want to go so as I mentioned to you earlier the word call I would I would avoid this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where possible when discussing with a, a singer and songwriter um, and I try to be a, a little bit more descriptive even if your your description of what you're looking for is something like I want something a bit more a, a kind of a breathy vocal or a lyric about this kind of topic um, if you can give a bit more information that's really helpful and um, also if you can provide any references to, to songs that you that you attracts that you love and songs that you love and vocals that you find um, inspire you. That's also really helpful. Like the worst thing from, from my side that I felt is somebody's given me a very vague idea and they've kind of given the um, idea that they're very open and flexible. And then you send your ideas over and then they're like, Oh no, that's nothing like what I had in mind. 
and you go, <laughs> okay, but I asked you what you had in mind and you had a very uh, vague and open approach. So I think if you can have a clear idea of what you're looking for, um, that saves everybody uh, a lot of kind of toing and froing and, um, and gives everyone the opportunity to feel like creatively they're on the right track from the beginning. Um, and then from there, kind of ongoing communication, as I said, you know, it could be that you're communicating through a platform, through social media, through email. It doesn't really matter which um, which space this is, but just to to keep that communication going, even once you have completed the creative process and finished the track, if you're then pitching it out, just staying in touch with people and kind of just touching base. Um, there have been, as as you know, I've worked with uh, hundreds of different music producers and DJs over the years, and there have been some situations where people just go quiet. And you might have an amazing track that you've made with them and you're so excited for it and then it doesn't get picked up straight away and then everyone just sort of goes a bit quiet. It's always worth reaching out. And there have been situations where I've then reached out to people, say like a year or two after, and then they haven't bothered to respond. And I just say, if you're going into this creative process with with somebody else, then it's important to keep that line of communication open. Um, because that's how you, you never know it might be that that song is just not right for the market right now or um it might be that in in a couple of years time it could get picked up in a completely different capacity like for for a sync license or um for a different market like the the asian music market for example okay and, and are those things that you would try to hash out you talked about sort of the legal agreements and and splits and things like that but mm. is that stuff that you might address in the front end hey which labels are you interested in what's the backup plan if it doesn't get picked up are you going to sure. table it are you going to uh, self-release it or how do you specify all of that on the front mm. without just coming across like an attorney instead of a <laughs> creative exactly it's so hard and back when um when I'd had these conversations with my manager and my publisher and he's like Alex don't don't address these straight away like just try and you know have the first communications be creative and then address these things but actually what I've learned over the years is that it's much better also because people forget as well like we're, we're only human we might have got so involved in the creative process and so excited about it we completely forgot to, to discuss any of this stuff I think it's uh, an integral part of the initial communications you can do it in a really open way and just say you know what are your thoughts in terms of splits what are your thoughts in terms of uh, where where this might lead to do you do you have some goals um so I have quite a set way of communicating that from the beginning now just because I found that it just saves so much headache um and I've had situations where I have been kind of uh I wouldn't say dealing with industry sharks but dealing with people that really want to mess you around simply because you hadn't been clear enough from the beginning or got something in writing and I do use something called a, a master agreement from the beginning that just lays out um what how we're going to work together so what the splits are going to be for the master for the for the writing splits um and then any terms that I would like and then of course the collaborator can come back um with their thoughts on this so I know it is a kind of a a sticky subject and something that a lot of people want to avoid and I definitely wanted to avoid it at the beginning but I, I can't emphasize enough if you can find just that that way of sort of politely um, and smoothly fitting it into your communication early on it will just save you a lot of stress um, and a lot of time in in the future. 
Okay. So you've got a master sort of template that you use, and then that's tailored based on the artists and the discussions and... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. And and I would recommend putting this together if you are part of a, u- a musician's union. So here in the UK, we have Musicians Union, um, the MU, and they provide you with a template if you want to go this way. I actually had uh, arranged it with um, my, my manager and publisher and we'd uh, had a lawyer look over it just to check it included the things that we needed it to, to include. Um, but there are certainly loads of templates out there and I would highly recommend just um, looking into this or, or reaching out to somebody that can uh, assist you on this just so that you've you've got that in place because the problem is if you don't have something in writing um, and even if you have it on email it becomes it becomes difficult to be able to implement it further down the line if that person say has uh, been approached by a label or approached a label with the track that label wants to pick it up but the label is only communicating with them like where's the agreement that says they also need to communicate with you and it's not just that you're a kind of third party artist through the other artist or producer does that make sense so you don't want to be sort of um, secondary to any communications you, you need to make sure that you've agreed that with your your collaborator from the beginning Okay. And for newer producers that are listening to the podcast, can you talk briefly about some of the different types of arrangements in terms of hiring a vocalist like work for hire versus collaborations or a featuring artist? Or can you kind of break that down a little bit for some of the newer producers listening? Okay. So with a work for hire, expect to be paying more to the to the singer and songwriter. Um, what you'll be doing in this situation is you'll be kind of paying somebody to to take the full right. So you'll, or maybe um, yeah, in this situation, you would be the 100% um, kind of owner of the record. So anything that the the singer has performed or written perhaps all of that would just be included in the fee so there would not be any um, any share any split with them um, then you've got certain buyouts that you can agree to so you could agree to a master buyout or um, a writing buyout so for this if you are agreeing to the master buyout this means that when you are then pitching to labels if you're then signing to a label you do not need to be communicating with um the person that you that you brought on board for the track because the master is what you are licensing to the label um with the writing obviously this is to do with um with publishing and uh, and your your songwriter shares um this is usually less common to do a buyout on, but it is an option to do a buyout for, for some people. Um, and for this, it just means that any of your, your publishing royalties, your songwriting royalties would be um, 100% to you again. So these are both kind of parts that you um, you can discuss with people. It's not something that I personally offer anymore, but um, it is something that a lot of people offer and, and also it kind of makes it, if you want something that's solely yours and you don't want to have to put any other names on your release, it gives you that option as well. Um, so the other thing that you were mentioning about featuring versus um, kind of the collaborations where you have and or X is often used, um, you can you can kind of negotiate that. That usually wouldn't impact um like if you were this in the way that you are paying more for a work for hire this usually wouldn't impact uh, any kind of payment um aspect of things so 
you would simply just discuss with the person what you feel comfortable with. So, for example, if it's really your project and you want this to come out with them as the featuring artist, then you just have to discuss that with um, with the individual. So it really depends on an individual basis. It depends on the person that you're collaborating with. But um, it, it's it's really important you do discuss these things from the beginning because um, because you might really want something to be very much your own release and you might either want no other names on the on the title of the record or you might want just featuring and the other person coming in on the collaboration might think that say if you've agreed a 50 50 split for the master and for your songwriting royalties they might believe that therefore they are going to be it's going to be a collaborative um release with their name fully on the release as well um so that is just something to to be aware of and, and to discuss as well Okay. And and so that kind of comes back to different types of royalty streams. You said mm. uh, you had some thoughts about that and how that's kind of a misunderstood topic. Absolutely. So when we're talking about, and I am not an expert on this, so please, whatever you do, do your research as well. Um, but just over the years, this is the, the information I've had and that I come to time and time again, it's just important that we are aware that there's three different um, different royalty streams that are available to us so we've got the master and when you're dealing with a label you'll license the master to them maybe for a number of years on um, potentially many different terms that you could negotiate with them and this would obviously if you're self-releasing it will be 100% of that income will come to you or you and your collaborators then you've got the songwriting royalties also known as the, the publishing royalty stream um, and these royalties are your work as a uh, as a writer so what you have written your your copyright in that respect a bit like somebody writing a book it's it's theirs it's their copyright um there is another form of royalty that comes through this and it's important also to just be aware uh, of who your your society is in your country who you need to be signed up with for example in the uk it's called prs for music um, and then you've also got your performance royalties. And this is something that so many people that I speak to, even if they've been doing it for, for, for donkey's years, they, they say to me, oh, I didn't, I didn't actually know about this. These are to do with your neighboring rights. And it's more of a kind of a, a newer form of royalty that isn't established in every country. Um, for example, I don't think the US actually pay uh, neighboring rights, but internationally, if you're releasing internationally, which obviously pretty much all releases are these days, um, there will be neighboring rights royalties potentially coming in from, from other countries. So you have got, um, I can't remember the the name of the one in the US, but for the UK, we have PPL and uh, and they cover these. So it's important to look just make sure that you're aware of these three different streams and that when you're discussing with your collaborators, you're addressing which ones you're going to be, you're going to be sharing and which ones might be negotiated. I didn't quite understand the neighboring rights. Can you, can you elaborate mm -hmm. on that a little bit? So this is performance royalties. Um, so this is to do with your performance on a record. So back in the day, if you were to go into the studio as a, a session vocalist and you were just, had um been paid a fee you'd still be entitled to these because they are it's to do with your performance um and for for these kind of royalties these days even if you uh so if i've recorded my voice on a track and i was just doing a cover for example or um uh or i was just uh 
it was just like a, a work for hire, I would still be entitled to register my performance on this, irrelevant of even if I was not featured. So, for example, if you're an instrumentalist and you played bass on on somebody's track, you can register your your performance on that um, on that record. Is that kind of just giving credit, or is there a fee associated with that? Because I thought if somebody owns 100% of the masters, they're receiving 100% of the income, but you're saying there's still a small split for that that neighboring royalty? Yes. So for the neighboring rights, any performer on the record can um, it can put in their, their kind of claim for their share of it. It would be very minuscule and there are specific um, calculations done depending on your involvement in the record. Um, with this one, I am not 100% sure if that can be bought out. I, I think it can be, but basically that would just mean that you wouldn't register your interest in in the record um okay. but yeah it, effectively any performer on the record is is entitled to to do this but it's a bit of a gray area it's not common in a lot of countries as well still and um it's still a topic of of discussion i think as to uh exactly how it should be done in in quite a lot of countries Okay. A lot of my self-releases, all of my self-releases have been through um, CD Baby. I'm going to have to go on there and look for neighboring rights because that's that's a new term yes, for me. So do. So okay. check out on um, on the distribution websites. They should have some more information for, for the different royalty streams that you can be expecting and also should be advising on where you can, uh, where you can sign up in your, in your local area, in your country. Okay. Well, that's, that's terrific. If we can kind of pivot, we've talked a lot about the business side of music. I'd like to focus a little bit on the creative side and sort of your approach to songwriting and writing top lines and melodies. Do you have a general process or is it, does it vary for every different song? It's a good question. And a number of years ago before I had worked on, on, so many too many tracks um I would have said one thing and now I would say a different thing in a way it depends on the track sometimes I can be sent a track and and I will imagine a character straight away and this character will be going about their day or they will be in a certain scenario and I can create a story around this character and sometimes I might uh hear a track and straight away a lyric comes to mind or straight away a melody comes to mind but the other say the lyric comes later on um it does depend on the track but equally because I'm just working on top lines most of the on most of the records I work on um there is a fairly structured approach as in it will either be one or the other the melody or the lyric will come first usually the melody and I will be inspired by the the track and the instrumental and the the patterns the melodic patterns in the instrumental um and then from this I often come back to it and put put the lyrics to to the melodic idea that I have um but certainly there's still there are still times when these characters can appear which is actually very exciting as a as a creative as a songwriter because um you kind of get transported to another world. You get this anyway, and I'm sure you feel this when you're, um, you know, you're inside it. You're inside a track. You're inside a song. Um, but when you you have this character appear that out of nowhere, it has often felt for me. Um, I, I am transported to a completely different place, and I can create a story and an emotion and a feeling that is very separate to myself. And I find that very exciting from a from a creative perspective. 
It's really interesting you say that because um, one of the folks that I interviewed recently, Sean Giovanni, he runs a recording studio in Nashville, mm-hmm. and he talked about in songwriting, you know, even for an instrumental, how he will visualize sort of what's happening and, and the storyline and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing that in his mind in conjunction with writing. So it's interesting. I'm hearing that several times. Mm. But it's a beautiful way to to be able to to work in that way when it happens. It is very, um, very magical and certainly instrumentally as well. And that's why I'm saying when I'm listening to a track, I can sometimes be very heavily um, directed by the track because often the tracks they have, you know, they, they flow and they ebb and they they increase in, in dynamic and in volume and, and in, in emotion. And then they they have these moments of sparseness and, and quite quiet moments. And this can really direct the, the direction of the top line and the vocal as well. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I think sometimes for me, that even takes the form of envisioning the music video that might go alongside it. Even if I never actually yes. make the music video, <laughs> I can picture, Hey, here's what I would do. Uh, if I had a bigger budget and oh absolutely yeah <laughs> the yeah, number of times um, I have that and I get so excited and then you discuss it with your collaborator and you go okay who who's going to invest <laughs> tens of thousands into this very elaborate music video <laughs> as fun yeah. as that would be yeah do but you it seems often like it's... find sorry no 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 go ahead do you often find um if you have a, a word that you've read somewhere or um or maybe uh, somebody has has said something to you so i i have it with the collaborators sometimes they might just mention a word or they might have n- named their uh, their work in progress this this random word and sometimes i just get fixated on this word and and from there a whole a whole picture or image or um or scenario can can be created H- have you had this before um, frequently what I do, and I use Ableton Live and in my master mm-hmm. template, one of the first things I'll do when I'm writing a track is like come up with three adjectives that I want mm-hmm. to describe the track. It doesn't always work out that way, but it, it gives me sort of a focus, you know, energetic, mm-hmm. dark, uh, sensual, whatever. And, and that helps me. I do certainly fixate on words sometimes. I'm working on a remix right now of um, Christina Aguilera's uh, Santo uh, which is a, a Latin track, and uh, the the whole the the word saint kind of influenced uh, the the entire piece, and it took on sort of a religious dark overtone because of that one word. Mm. So, uh, I, I guess yes, absolutely that that does happen to me. It's amazing how powerful one word can be, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> when you're coming up with those melodies, once you kind of have an idea, are, are you doing that on the piano or do you find yourself singing or humming or is it a combination? Mm. Sadly for me, you know, my background, as I kind of said at the beginning, was uh, very much kind of piano vocal singer songwriter. And um, and I really I really wish I could say I sit at the piano every time and I, I work my ideas out there just because I have such a love for the instrument. But I found over the years when I was doing that, I was sort of resorting to ideas that didn't work so well for the genre. And as beautiful as the piano is, I think I have very much connected um, to more acoustic music and classical music because that was kind of my background and my training on the instrument. So I tend to work more just I'm listening to the track and I, I'm walking around and and I, I feel something in my body and, and in my soul. And then I just get into this 
this headspace. Um, so it is a kind of separate process. But but when I am writing songs, um, just really for myself as an artist, which is uh, something that I kind of keep putting on the back burner all these years um and I have got some songs that I have been coming back to that I'm working on at the moment but these songs I do I will sit at the piano and they will come about from um from that kind of improvisation and that freedom with the instrument um so I think for me it's there is a great connection to the instrumental side of things but for me with um certainly with with EDM and all the the collaborations I've done mainly the track has been has been pushing the ideas so you you actually have a degree in popular music when <laughs> when, when a producer is making when they're writing their own melodies can you offer any advice about how to come up with a catchy memorable hook what do you think are the key elements within like the EDM genre and i, I know that's a really broad genre but well, first, I would say that when it comes to anything creative, there is so much subjectivity that it's so subjective as to whether something is an amazing idea or not. I would say with regards to studying, you don't need to have studied. You just need to have spent. Uh, I think there is this idea of 10,000 hours, and I strongly actually believe in that. You need to have spent all these hours just perfecting your craft. Um, so I wouldn't say that a degree or any specific course in uh, in popular music, if unless it says if it says on the tin, I am going to make you an amazing songwriter or whatever. This doesn't really exist because everything is subjective. So it's mm-hmm. it's creatively that you could be an incredible an incredible songwriter without having uh, had any train any formal training. Um, so I don't really connect my work with having having a degree in it um leading on to the other things that you were you were saying could you just elaborate on what you were uh what you were asking well i guess are there any specific sort of bits of advice you can offer for creating memorable hooks you know i've heard people talk about well keep it within a vocal range so people can people can sing along with it you know make sure you've mm-hmm. got uh, repetitive motifs throughout so that you kind of drive that home um, are, are there any mm-hmm. other things that you would specifically advise somebody that's trying to write you know one of those earworms that just gets stuck in your head mm-hmm. um, I would say first of all sleep on it so once you've created an idea um, and I wouldn't focus solely on it trying to be something um that you can imagine people singing along to, I would just try and make it something that you just find fascinating and really interesting. Um, Utilize time. I have been a very impatient songwriter and uh, in my career, I've been very impatient at times wanting to do a thousand things at once. But I would say creatively, one of the best things you can do is to, to sit on something and come back to it. You will know when you come back to it, whether that be a day later or a week later, you will know if that idea is, is genuinely something that, that sticks with you and it will haunt you as well. It will haunt you in your dreams. It will haunt you throughout your day. You'll find yourself singing it. That's when you know you have something special. So as much as there are techniques that you can use to to write, to write melody, to write lyrics, um, to to perform, um, I would very much say that it's it has to come from that creative place and it has to feel right. And I know that is vague. And I apologize for that, but that is <laughs> genuinely what I what I believe and what I have experienced. It just has to, there has to be that sense of feeling, that other kind of otherworldliness that I feel is connected to, to songwriting and, and to um, and certain creative works. Well, you, 
you said something that sometimes it's hard because it's so subjective songwriting mm-hmm. that you know it's hard to tell whether or not you've got something really good. You know, you ask family and friends, and they're all going, "Yeah, yeah, that's good." But you said, you know, if it's something that really haunts you, if it comes back to you and you're hearing it in your dreams, you're hearing it the next day, you're, you find yourself humming along with the tune or maybe somebody else in your household that's heard it. I mean, those seem like really good indicators that you're onto something that mm. that seems key to me. Definitely. The the other week, so um, I have a little toddler and the other week I was uh, I was running through some ideas and she was just sat playing and I, I sang something. And she hadn't done this before, and she hasn't done it since. She came over to me, she sat next to me, and she tried to sing it back to me. And she almost sang the, this is obviously part of her development because of her age, but equally, she hasn't done it since and other things I have sung. And I was fascinated by this. So that something resonated with her. And often I find... uh, my husband might just start humming something and I go, that's my song. (laughs) So that's the idea that I was uh, just singing around the other day. So I think it is an amazing, um, an amazing way to tell if something is truly, truly special. I don't think that's the right word. Magical, otherworldly. I really like that term Um, is if it impacts other people in the way it impacts you. That's when, you know, you've got something that other ears want to hear other people would get goosebumps for. Um, and that's, that's really exciting. Okay. That's, that's great. You mentioned your, your husband and your child. Um, how do you balance your family life and your music? What is, what does a usual work day look like for you? So I work very much around my little one cause she is so, so dinky still. Um, and she does go to nursery a little bit as well. So when I am songwriting and um, working on more kind of administrative side of things or having phone calls, usually I try and do this side of things um, around her and her nap times. And if I'm going out for for walks, for example, um, and then the the sessions where I am recording, um, I I do this while she is she's at nursery or in childcare. Okay, great. And how, where do you go to sort of refresh that um, creative pool? How do you keep your creativity level up? Um, one of the most important things that I've learned over the years is is to just to separate yourself. Like there's something, as I'm sure you're aware, writer's block. You get to a point where you you feel that you've um, you you're doing too many different things and your mind is going to explode. You can't process them or, or un, um, untangle them, all the different ideas. I found that for me, walking and getting outside in nature is is massively helpful and fresh air and just finding somewhere beautiful to go to. Um, for, for other people, I know this might be um, that they love the buzz of a city and to go and walk around somewhere really busy for me it's to be somewhere that's just peaceful and I can hear the birds singing and I can just have that kind of relaxation and also something else for kind of um, rejuvenating that creativity is sometimes just to not be afraid to take a break which for myself has always been very hard but I think once you become uh, a, a parent or you have other responsibilities or you have your job that you have to go to it, it's actually a really good thing to take that break because then when you come to being um, creative again and you have that 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 moment that time that you're creating um, you appreciate it so much more and I also 
remember going through a phase um, where I was so busy with songwriting and sessions and um, collaborations, which which is, you know, it's beautiful thing. But also creatively, you can get to that point where where things start to run into each other and you can't separate one thing from another. And that's when I say it's it's worth taking that step back and just doing something different, even for, for a week if you need to or longer if you need to, um, and not being afraid of, of taking that space from it. Okay, fantastic. What are your plans for this coming year? Um, so I had mentioned to you, I've got another little one arriving in the summer. So up until that point, I have got uh, several collaborations going on, but I also have um, these songs that I have been promising myself for for years now that I would that I would sort out and finish, which. In general, as a songwriter, I am very good at finishing my projects. But when it comes to something that is very much your own, and I'm sure you find this as well, sometimes you you want to, it's your baby. You want to keep nurturing it and nurturing it and you don't get to the to the end. So I have a, I'm very determined to, to get these songs finished. I've got a handful of songs uh, that I've been working on that I will be finishing in the next few months. Okay. Great. Well, well, good luck with that, and and uh, good luck with the new child. Do you? Can I ask what what gender? Do you know yet? We don't know yet. It's still it's still a surprise at the moment. But we should find out in a few weeks' time. Um, and before I forget to mention, I have got I had um, a beautiful release recently with uh, Darren O'Brien called Beyond the Sky, which came out on High Voltage Recordings, which is Alan Watts' recording label, record label. Um, and I've got another beautiful trance track coming out uh, next month in April, on the 15th of April with Black Hole Recordings um, with an awesome producer called D72, and that's called Finish Line, that track. Um, so there are quite a few things going on in terms of releases as well. Thank you for for bringing that up. And, and it looks like you you have some gorgeous trance tracks out there. Um, I, I noticed you posting about being on some of the major Spotify editorial playlists again for uh, Yeah, we're so for grateful for this. Yeah, we were really lucky with the Atmosphere, the first track that Darren O'Brien and I um, released a couple of years ago together. Um, that one was picked up by, by trance um, Transnation as well, and we're really grateful that they've they've got us back on this Spotify editorial playlist. Um, and I think that for me, it's one of the one of the subgenres of dance music that resonates a lot with me. There's a lot of kind of ethereal side to it that also kind of takes me back to that more kind of acoustic singer songwriter roots that I have. Um, and and yeah, I'm really excited to be doing more projects actually over the next few months in trance as well. Do you have a favorite genre? If you were to have asked me this 10 years ago, then yes, but I've always mixed and matched. I've always gone from one thing to the other. I think the only thing I've always said I am not a fan of is metal music. But even then, I can be convinced. In any genre, I can be convinced if you play me <laughs> the right track. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, within within dance music at the moment, it's trance. Um but I'm sure that that will change again at some point and, and something will come up and it will convince me otherwise. Um, and overall, over the years, I, as I had said to you in my past, I have been exposed to, to jazz, to rock, to blues. Like There are amazing records, amazing voices, amazing producers and, 
and 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 songs within within every genre. So uh, I'm always here to be convinced. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, if if someone wants to uh, reach out to you to to hire you or collaborate on a track for their next trance project or maybe their next death metal screamer, you know what uh, what's the best way to reach out <laughs> to you? <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to those inquiries. <laughs> Uh, you can reach out to me on Instagram or um, or by email. If you check on social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram under Alex Holmes Music. So I'm quite easy to find on there. And uh, yeah, send me a message and, and we'll have a chat. I'm always open to, to hearing new songs, new tracks and um, and collaborating with with different artists and producers no matter whether they're um, independent signed to a label they're just starting out I'm always open to to tracks and music and that's the joy and pure beauty of uh, of creativity is that like I said to you I don't believe that training is uh, an essential thing other than you need to just um, absorb yourself in your creative art for as many hours as you can to, to kind of perfect it I believe that there are some amazing uh, tracks and, and up and coming artists and creators out there that are just waiting to be heard. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you. Thank you so, so much for your time. Um, and uh, really appreciate the conversation today, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for listening. I'm so thankful for you sticking with me for a hundred episodes. These next 100 will be even better. If you enjoyed this interview, please take a moment to leave a rating and review wherever you're listening and share it with a friend. Also, remember to check out the show notes page at producerlifepodcast.com. Just look for episode 100. I'll have links for Alex's latest release, along with a bunch of other helpful resources. Until next time, this is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today. Hey.